The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to New Reflections with Dr. Adam Rubenstein. Skin care and plastic surgery are hot topics these days. Let Dr. Rubenstein answer your questions and explain what you'll want to look for in aesthetic products and cosmetic procedures. Get ready for a discussion about all things aesthetic. Now, live from Miami, Florida, American Board Certified Plastic Surgeon, Dr. Adam Rubenstein. Welcome to New Reflections. I want to welcome all the mothers out there. This week is dedicated to mothers. Uh, with Mother's Day tomorrow around the corner, we thought we'd do a show that would honor mommies. And this week is all about mommy makeovers. And uh, the show is going to tell you all about what a mommy makeover is, why people look for it, why they have it done, what it can help. We're going to get into mommy makeovers in just a second. I want to introduce our uh, my special guest host. I've got Cherie Wagner with me again this week. Cherie, welcome Good back morning. to the show. Good morning. How are you? Good morning. Well, mommy makeovers is a topic that is important to lots of folks. Now, Cherie, you, you don't have any kids, do you? No, no. I'm not a mommy yet, just to my animals. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, having your animals probably didn't make the changes to your body that having kids do, can, can do to their moms. And... We're going to talk about the changes that will happen when you go through having kids and, and becoming a mom. It's wonderful to be a mom. Moms are so important to us. They give of themselves every day to their children, to their family. And when they become a mom, sometimes there are some changes that maybe they're not all that looking forward to and not all that happy about. We're going to talk yeah. about some of those. Yeah, I'm looking forward to becoming a mother, but not my body changing. <laughs> well, and, and you know, and it's important to say some people's bodies do change and some people don't. There's a, a wide spectrum of what happens when you go through pregnancy and you have kids, but we do see trends. In fact, uh, there was a study done by the American Society of Plastic Surgery that looked at this, and they're looking at how many moms would want to have a mommy makeover if cost was not important. And more than half, in fact, 62% said that they would have some type of a mommy makeover if cost was out of the picture. Okay, so, well, you can include me in, and add 63%. <laughs> well, you got to get there first. But for I all those know, people I out know, there, but I'm, just, the I'm thing. just preparing. Yeah, well, that's good. It's good to have you be, to be planning ahead. <laughs> <laughs> now, looking at what a mommy makeover is, let's talk about that. A mommy makeover really affects two areas of the body. We're talking about improving the breasts and improving the tummy. When you go through pregnancy, there are some typical changes you'll see. You can, of course, expect your breasts to swell, and they're going to get engorged, you're getting ready to be able to breastfeed. And as they swell up, well, the skin stretches, and the actual glands, they grow. When you are finished having babies and finished breastfeeding, if you choose to breastfeed, you may find that the tissue in the breast, the glandular tissue, will shrink down. And often, it'll shrink down smaller than what it was 
in the first place. You know, the, the breast may end up being smaller than they were before pregnancy. That's because of the what's called atrophy of the breast glands. The glands actually shrink down in size and can sometimes end up smaller than they started. They end up in a smaller size than they were before you started breastfeeding, even before pregnancy. Now, the other thing that happens to breasts, besides this loss of volume, is you have this skin that's stretched out. When you are done having kids and breastfeeding, well, that stretched out skin no longer has all that volume in it, so it, the breast may sag. The skin sometimes retracts back nicely, but sometimes it doesn't. So what we see is we see two different problems. We see sagging of the breast, and we see loss of volume. Now, loss of volume is an easy thing to fix because we can easily put breast implants in and add volume. In fact, there are some new techniques where people are using fat transfer to add volume to the breast. And, and for smaller losses of volume, just trying to plump breasts out, and that, that's another option. But usually, just doing a breast augmentation is not going to be the, the only answer. Because if you have a sagging breast, sometimes people think that putting in a big implant is going to make that better. Well, it's not. If you have a sagging breast and you put in a big implant, even a huge implant, all you're going to end up with is a bigger sagging breast. So if you have sagging of the breast, what you really need is a breast lift. Now, a lot of women come to the office and think that they have sagging breasts because they're actually deflated. It, you kind of equate the word sagging with that loss of volume. But sagging something different. When we're looking at breasts, we're looking at the position of the nipple. That's what's important with the breasts. Where is the nipple in relation to the bottom of the breast or that fold? We call it the inframammary fold or the, or the fold beneath the breast. Where that nipple is in relation to the fold under the breast tells us how much sagging there is. So if the nipple is actually above the fold, but you're really deflated and the breasts feel kind of floppy, that's just loss of volume, and putting an implant in can make that look great. But if the nipple also has sagged down to around the level of that fold or even below it, well, putting an implant in is going to help add volume, but it's not going to give you the perky breast that you're looking for. So you probably need to do a lift. And for mommy makeovers, it's pretty common that we do a lift and an augmentation. Pretty soon we're going to introduce Dr. Michelle Zweifler, who's a board-certified plastic surgeon, is going to talk to us about her techniques and her recommendations for breast lifts and augmentations, or what we call a mastopexy augmentation. Now we're talking about tummy. Tummies are changing also in a couple of different ways. When you're pregnant, your belly stretches out in all directions, and it stretches pretty quickly. You know, over the course of just a few months, it's going to stretch pretty fast. And if you have twins, even more so. The bigger the baby, the more stretching. You're going to see more effects of pregnancy afterwards. So as the skin stretches out, the skin is not the only thing that's stretching because there's going to be some stretching on the inside as well, the muscles. So what we see is the muscle stretches out. You get a little bit of separation. In your tummy, you've got these two rectus abdominis muscles, one on either side, and they sit vertically. They're like two towers right next to each other, two columns. And when you're pregnant, they stretch out forward, so they're, they're bowing out forward, and they separate. And it's that separation of those two muscles that creates the poochy belly after pregnancy. You know what I'm talking about? Is that, uh, that little bulge in the lower tummy that a lot of women have after they have babies they just can't get rid of? They, they, can't, they can't just do that with ab workout and cardio? No, you That's can't. That's not going to fix that? Well, it'll certainly, I certainly recommend it. 
But it's not going to fix that because the stretching of the muscles, making them pull, pull apart like that, there's no natural way. There's no muscle that pulls them back to the middle. So mm. even doing crunches all day long will not bring those muscles back to the middle. So you can get very strong, but that separation, or the medical term for it, is a diastasis. The diastasis of the muscle is not something that's going to be uh, going to be um, something that you can fix yourself. No exercise is going to pull that back. So those are the things that we can improve with surgery. And in a little while, we're going to introduce Dr. Bruce Smith, who's a board-certified plastic surgeon. And Dr. Smith is going to talk with us about tummy tucks. Now, let's get right into the business. Let me introduce Dr. Michelle Zweifler. Dr. Zweifler is a board-certified plastic surgeon who practices in New York. She practices in Manhattan, and she's done, had lots of experience with mastopexy augmentation and taking care of mommies after they've had their babies. Dr. Zweifler, welcome to the show. Good morning, Dr. Lindsay, or good afternoon. Oh, well, good afternoon. Yeah, I guess it depends on where you're listening. You know, the uh, on the West Coast, it is still good morning, so good morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, and good afternoon for you. Uh, welcome to the show. So, mastopexy augmentation, how often do you see moms coming in after having babies? Quite frequently. I mean, most, you know, with pregnancy, the body accompanies not just the abdomen, but the breast to enable future breastfeeding. And there's a lot of hormonal changes going on, so the breasts tend to get larger with pregnancy. And with the weight, there's some sagging of the skin after pregnancy. The medical term is postpartum involutional hypoplasia. It could be loss of breast volume and loss of elasticity, so breasts might not be as perky as they once were. Well, that's, that's, that's true. Actually, the involutional changes that we see in the breast are, they're, they're different for everyone. I mean, you don't see the same changes to everybody. So, you know, some moms will have very little change and some will have quite a bit. And I mean, most women's breasts aren't the same to begin with. If you look at 100 women, no one has identical breasts naturally, even prior to pregnancy. It's quite common to have asymmetry between the right and left side. One breast can be a little bigger, one could sit a little bit lower. And if you are losing volume, that's when an implant plays a good role. It helps give upper pole fullness. But if there's sagging and the tissue is just not as strong, a breast lift or a mastopexy helps reposition the nipple and the breast tissue to give your best aesthetic result. Well, that's a, that's a good point. So when you see someone come in, what is it you're looking at? When you're taking a look at breasts for the first time, how are you figuring out what you need to do? Um, well, first I'm getting a good history from the patient, finding out where the breasts were, whether it started the breast prior to pregnancy, and figure out if they breastfed, are they done having kids, and then what size and what's their ultimate goal. Some women, an implant alone will give the volume to replace the, miss- the missing amount of tissue and to fill the soft tissue envelope. Well, you, know, you, brought up, you brought up a good point. Let me ask you a question. Uh, you were talking about uh, women deciding kind of where they want to be and, and what, they, what they'd like to end up. You also mentioned, are they done having kids? What if someone comes in and they've had two or three kids and they're thinking, well, we might want to have one more. What is your advice? And maybe they do, maybe they don't. Uh, someone has a couple of kids and they're not maybe anticipating having another child, but they still want to uh, have, think about having their breasts improved because they're very unhappy with how that looks. How do you counsel someone that way? 
And well, obviously, my ideal world, I'd like women to be done having children and doing the, the mommy makeover and the breast portion of it after it's completed. But if someone's upset with their breasts and they're just not happy and they want to feel and look their best, I'm willing to do you know, an augmentation, a mastopexy, or the combination augmentation, mastopexy. Um, you know, but they have to understand there's no guarantee that they're going to be able to breastfeed afterwards. And again, there could be hormonal changes and weight changes and changes in the breast afterwards. So they must be realistic. They must be willing to accept that they may need future surgery, again, to achieve the desired result. Yeah, that's a good point. But I think, at least in my practice, I'll tell you what I, what I tell folks. When they come to see me, uh, the... The thing that I bring up, if they're thinking, you know, maybe I want to have another child, I think the decision comes down to, are you, you have to choose between you're so unhappy with how the breasts are now that you really want to make them look better, and you're willing to accept the possibility of needing to have another procedure if you choose to have another child later, possibly, possibly not, but you're willing to accept that, the chance of that happening, because you want to enjoy good results now. And alternatively, you know, you can always wait. So I kind of leave yeah, but, it to them to decide. But it, does it make a difference how many um, surgeries that you have? I mean, are you only allowed so many surgeries? No, you can really operate on a breast. It's a, it's a good a good thought, but you can operate on a breast so long as the technique is gentle and, and the tissue is handled properly. You, you can tinker with this a lot. And when you do breast reconstruction, for example, and you might operate on someone three, four times till you get it just the way you'd like it to be. So for because you can go through the same scar, right? Yeah, well, we, we can use the same scarring, and typically you would do that. Uh, right. so really not, you don't have to worry about operating on it too much. And the fact is most people, when they're going to have breast surgery, they're probably going to end up having more than one procedure in their lifetime, particularly if there are implants involved. Mm -hmm. But we're going to be right back. I want to take a short commercial break. and When we come back, we're going to get back into this discussion about fixing mommy's breasts after they're done with the babies. We'll be right back after these short messages. Your life, your health, your network. This is Voice America Health & Wellness. Cosmetic surgery is a big deal. Make sure you do your homework. Why? This is not my car I'm working on. I may settle for an okay job on that, but I won't settle for anything less when it comes to my body. Do your homework. My doctor trained with world-renowned plastic surgeons. My doctor is a fully board-certified plastic surgeon. My doctor is an MD and on staff at several Florida hospitals. My doctor is an associate professor of surgery at a major university. My doctor is Adam Rubenstein. People pick a doctor based on trust. You can trust Dr. Rubenstein. He has the experience, knowledge, and artistic touch you're looking for. Call 305-792-7575. That's 305-792-7575. Call today for a free consultation. Dr. Adam Rubenstein, Turnberry Plastic Surgery at Biscayne Boulevard in the William Lehman Causeway, where medicine meets artistry. My doctor is Adam Rubenstein. Are you ready to go green? You've asked, and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network. 
Environmental topics are at the forefront of our society, and the Green Talk Network is here to keep you up to date on the latest trends and new innovations for the eco-conscious lifestyle. We'll help promote a variety of ideas on the environment, from global warming issues to how you can become more eco-friendly in your daily activities. Be a part of the solution, not the problem. Visit the Green Talk Network page on voiceamerica.com and tune in to help spread the green. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to New Reflections with Dr. Adam Rubenstein. If you have a question or comment for the host or this week's guests, please call 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You can also send an email to info at dr-rubenstein.com. That's info at dr-rubenstein.com. Now, back to New Reflections. Well, welcome back. After that break, we were, we were just getting into talking about breast surgery and figuring out whether or not you're going to do it and, and what, uh, what procedures we're going to choose to do. So now mom's done having kids or is taking a break from having kids for a while and, and wants to look good. And she's in the office. And Dr. Zweifler, how are you choosing the technique you're going to use? What techniques do you reach to and, and when do you use them? Well, first it depends upon where they want to go volume-wise. Some women, the breast may be larger, so they might want a small reduction. Some women just want an implant to fill the volume. And then there's a combination category where people need both a lift and an implant. And I find in my practice, most women that come in that have had a couple children, most of them really do need a little bit of a lift and an implant. Yes, and there's different incisions that we could use and different ways to approach that. Um, if, the, if, there's not, if there's a medium or small amount of excess skin, sometimes the incision can be limited to around the nipple area. And if there's a larger amount of skin and a lot of sagging and extra tissue, it may require more scars to achieve the desired results, such as well, a lollipop or even an anchor incision in order to get the tissue back in its appropriate place and firming up the breast. Yeah, and a lot of women are worried. They, don't, they come in, they're hoping that all they need is an augmentation because they don't want the extra scarring because in the old days, and not, not the old days aren't that, that long ago, you know, where <laughs> everybody used to do these anchor-shaped scars. So in, in modern days, I think it probably within the last 10 years, the other techniques have gotten much more popular. And in my practice, I'd say at least half, if not 75% of the time, I'm able to do a breast lift with the scar just around the areola and not having to even do the lollipop. But it's pretty rare for me to have to do more than the vertical or the lollipop kind of technique. And where everybody used to do the anchor shape all the time. Are you doing less and less anchor shape incisions? I do a lot of the peri-areola or around the areola incisions. And those are the best candidates are ones that... You don't need to lift. There's some extra sin and some sagging. And those are usually the patients that come in hoping only to need an implant, but they actually, to get the best results, need an implant and a little bit of a lift. There's still women that have had such weight fluctuations with pregnancy, and if there's been a lot of weight change and there's a lot of missing breast tissue, 
you still need to extend the scar. And that small percentage may require the full anchor or the lollipop or vertical scar. Going back to breastfeeding, when you said that, uh, you know, depending if you would um, recommend them not waiting if they wanted to have another child uh, because of breastfeeding, the possibilities of not being able to breastfeed, what do you mean by that? Because um, Dr. Rubenstein said that you could go back in there and it shouldn't be a problem. Why do you you think that that's going to be a problem for breastfeeding if you have another surgery before having your your fourth child or third child? Well, some women can't breastfeed at all, regardless of surgery. Just in life, they have a difficult time breastfeeding. It can be difficult because the baby is not latching on. It can be difficult based upon the maternal or mother's anatomy. But not all women breastfeed because it's sometimes a difficult time. With doing surgery, you may be repositioning some breast tissue, and with that, it, you may limit the ability to breastfeed. That's yeah, anytime, anytime you're operating on the breast, there's always a chance. However, when you look at the studies that have been done on this, and there really aren't that many, the biggest study that was done was done on breast reductions. Now, breast reduction is a really invasive operation to the breast. You're taking out parts of the breast tissue. You're making a lot of cuts through the breast in different directions in different ways. So it's a much more invasive operation than a breast lift on the breast gland itself. When you do those operations, there was a study done that looked at women that, uh, you know, all, all women that had these breast reductions, they were studied, a, a group of women were looked at, and they found, uh, if they, as they tracked them through their life, that about half of them were able to breastfeed and about half of them not. In actuality, the study showed that about a third, uh, one-third of the women did go on to breastfeed, one-third of the women went on to try to breastfeed and were unable to, and one-third never tried to breastfeed. So you just extrapolate that, and it comes out to be basically half and half. But that's with well, breast what, reduction. Mm-hmm. And so what you're if, looking at a breast, uh, a breast lift or a mastopexy, the well, odds you, are much, much greater. What if you were going to reduce your implant? Say you had a uh, size D implant and you wanted to uh, now have a C implant. Does that well, that's uh, a good question has any too. effect? That's a good question too. Feeding? Yeah, well, probably not with breastfeeding because it okay. doesn't. Where you know, breast augmentation, we don't believe is likely to have any effect on breastfeeding. There's okay. never really been a good study looking at breastfeeding after breast augmentation over a long period of time. But just thinking of the anatomy and physiology, it, it is extremely unlikely that you will affect breastfeeding. But like Dr. Swifler mentioned, there are women that never breastfed before they have surgery, and they may not be able to breastfeed just because their body won't let them breastfeed. And that has nothing to do with the surgery. Now, there are there are going to be some women that will have uh, surgery after having kids and then go on to have another child and not be able to breastfeed where they were able to breastfeed before. That's possible, but it's very unlikely. So, I mean, that's a great question because women always worry about breastfeeding. And the other thing they're worried about, we talked about the scars, choosing scarring patterns. So the women that come in that want to have just an augmentation because that scar is virtually invisible as opposed to having a lift. To me, it's it's good counseling just to talk to the patient and let them know, look, with a little bit more scarring, you can have a firmer, nicer-looking breast. Because there are some women that are kind of on the on the line there. You know, you could do a lift or you could try just an augmentation and it look okay. Uh, how do you counsel your patients in terms of accepting greater scarring to be able to get a nicer-looking breast? Well, um, preoperatively, obviously, this is all discussed, but some women, if they really don't want the scars and they don't want to lift, 
you could put an implant in, and, and if the patient's happy, great. If they're not, you could always do at the separate stage or a second procedure a mastopexy or breast lift. And it's safe to do it at the second stage, and this way the woman, you know, I want my patients to be happy. I want to give them the best results possible, and I understand some people are not willing to accept scars. They really want to see how the implant looks. I'm willing to work with them. They have to accept possibly second stage. Yeah, and I agree with that. I, I do that sometimes with patients. But then you come to the question of, well, you're looking at a patient that you know needs a lift, and they that don't want to non-negotiable. Was that? Then it's non-negotiable if I know they need a lift. <laughs> well, good for you. Because I think, I think that that is really, you know, that, that's where it, it gets difficult because patients are sometimes hard. It's hard for a woman to accept having a little bit of extra scarring if they're coming in thinking, oh, I just have an implant. It's going to look great. Because there's a lot of misconceptions out there, but you're looking at well, someone that really needs Well, they don't know until they have that, and and when they have the even the mini um, lift on it, and then when that tears and it doesn't hold, then they do know that they need to go back in there. So some well, women yeah. are going to argue that fact and say, "I'm sorry, I just don't want the scarring." And until they they uh, learn that and go through it on, on their own, they're not willing to change their mind. That's true. Well, that's okay. I mean, I mean, the patient ultimately, the patient's the one that chooses the procedure. But when I'm talking to someone and I see them in the office, I say, look, you know, I, I've done this a lot, and I can look at you and say, you need a lift to get a good result. If you put an implant in only, you're going to have, like I said earlier in the show, a bigger sagging breast. Because you have a sagging breast now, and putting an implant in doesn't give you a lift. So everyone, Women everyone do not listen. want sagging breasts. <laughs> that's true. Well, and, and, that's, and that's the thing. Then it becomes this choice. What's worse, having the sagging breast or having a little bit of scarring? And, and the scarring in most people really isn't that noticeable. Now, there are going to be people that don't have great scars, but the majority of women that have a lift and an augmentation, really, uh, they, the scars aren't that bad. Now, we were talking about two-stage procedures, putting an implant in and kind of seeing how it looks, and that will work for someone where they're kind of on that line, you know? But when you're looking at someone, Dr. Weisler, that definitely needs a lift, and, and you know you're going to be doing a lift and an augmentation, What's your feeling about doing those operations together? Because there are some doctors that, that won't do that. They think they've got to do one or the other first and then do the other as a second stage all the time. What do you think of that? Well, two things. One, I just want to go back to my preoperative consult. I show patients photographs of the scars. I show patients that have similar breasts, what the breasts look like before and after with the lifts. They understand what the scar looks like and what to expect and to achieve the desired results. As far as two-staging versus one-stage for augmentation and mastopexy, um, I'm in New York, so patients obviously like an instant gratification. They want everything done usually at once. Hey, hey um, wait a second. What are you trying to say about New Yorkers? You know, I'm from New York. We like, we like it all done. We don't, you know, if everyone's busy. <laughs> they don't want a second recovery necessarily. Okay, well, well Florida what, girls what, don't want that either. Florida okay. wants <laughs> I only work with my region, so... <laughs> I was going to say, I don't think it's limited to New York. I think everybody wants it yesterday. Yeah, everyone wants instant gratification. Okay, I will say that. And it is a gratifying procedure, breast augmentation. It's one of the things in plastic surgery that we see in immediate results. The patients wake up and they're pretty happy that they have new breasts. But how like, do you feel about doing the mastopexy and the augmentation together, doing a lift uh, and an augmentation at the same time? I, in the appropriate candidate, I prefer to do them together. And the majority of the time, I do do the procedures together. I put most of my implants in behind the muscle as opposed to on top of it because I think it's safer. And mainly what's missing is that upper pole fullness and volume. So by putting the implant behind the muscle, they get more of a lift, I feel, than putting the implant on top. But um, 
historically, yes, there's some risk by combining the more procedures you do at the same time. You know, there could be some increased risk of healing and other surgery-related issues. You know, I don't, I don't buy into that increased risk of healing, though. I mean, I really think that the best opportunity to get the best result is doing those things at the same time because you're able pain, to control though? it. What is that? What about pain? What about pain? Not really. The thing that hurts the most, I mean, you're going to have more, more incisions, so it'll be slightly more tender. But the thing that hurts the most is putting the implant in under the muscle. It's the release of the muscle. That's what's mostly sore, and that's going to happen so whether you just do a breast augmentation or a lift and augmentation. That's going to be about the same. So while there's maybe a little more discomfort because there's more scarring, it's not. That's not the main thing that hurts. So it's not that different. In general, there's not much pain with breast lifts or even with breast reductions because it's you're removing skin and some of the sensory parts. So there's more some skin numbness that's usually temporary, but there's not that much pain with that portion of it. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's, it's the putting the implant in that hurts. And and when you you're going to be putting an implant in anyway, you know, doing the lift around it is not that big a change. You said that you want to do them under the muscle. What if you get a patient that says, I want it over the muscle? Well, you can put them over the muscle. I think I think the, the only times that I do that, and, and Dr. Zweifel, you can give your opinion, but the only times that I do that are when I have someone who needs their muscle function at a very high level, someone who's a competitive athlete, a gymnast, I had a trapeze artist once. I had get a, a number of bodybuilders that come to the office, and you know these are people that stand on stage, whether they're uh, fitness models or bodybuilders and competitive weightlifters. They don't want to disturb the muscle in any way because they're being judged in the form of their muscle, but they want to have a little bit more of a feminine look by adding some volume to their breast. Those are people I put it on top of the muscle, but I'd say well, ninety-five plus percent of the time it's under the muscle. Well, what about breastfeeding? Does it make a difference for that, for the mothers out there that are concerned? No, good question, but it really shouldn't matter at all. Okay. No, that should, and just as, it's the same approach as it would be when you're putting it under the muscle. It's just choosing the plane where you're going to sit your, uh, your implant in. Now, let's make a real quick comment on recovery, and we need to go to a, a break in just a second. But recovering from these operations, what's been your experience, Dr. Zweifler? Um, I try most of my patients are off pain medicine in a couple of days, and the majority say it wasn't as bad as they anticipated it. Um, people could so go getting back, back to work? What do you think about getting back to work? I mean, I, I tend to be conservative when it comes to post-operative recovery, so I don't let my patients go to the gym for two weeks, three weeks afterwards. But most people go back to work in a couple of days or a week later. So. Yeah, I usually tell what patients they have a, two weeks. What if they have a child, though? Can they lift their child? Well, not initially. What do you think, Dr. Um, no heavy lifting. Um, you're going to need someone to help out. I mean, while you're recovering, it's important to have a good support system and somebody to help lift your kid and help take care of it. Because yeah. you don't yeah. want, you know, you want your incisions and scars to look the best. You don't want to be pulling on the incisions. And you don't want to have any, you know, risk of bleeding by doing too much activity soon on. I think the take-home message is you got to take it easy and, and use just common sense, but you can get back to your usual life activities really within a, a few days, maybe a week. Exactly. Let's go to a short commercial break. When we come back, Dr. Bruce Smith is going to join us. And Dr. Zweifel, are you going to stay with us for the rest of the show? I actually have a conference to attend to. Oh, so we'll have to let you go. Well, thanks, well, thanks for joining for us. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure Thank having you. Have, to have you back. And we're going to go to a commercial break. When we come back, we'll introduce Dr. Bruce Smith. And we'll talk about tummy surgery here on New Reflections.
Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Do you know if kidney disease is affecting you? Are your kidneys healthy? You may have kidney disease and not even be aware of it. 26 million people have been affected by kidney disease. Teenagers today are being diagnosed with symptoms such as high blood pressure, diabetes, and obesity. These conditions can worsen kidney health and cause kidney disease. Be sure to tune in to improve your kidney health with your host, Dr. Rich Snyder. Every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. The information you get on this program could help save your life. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. listening to New Reflections with Dr. Adam Rubenstein. If you have a question or comment for the host or this week's guests, please call 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You can also send an email to info at dr-rubenstein.com. That's info at dr-rubenstein.com. Now, back to New Reflections. Welcome back to the show. We were just talking with Dr. Michelle Zweifler in New York about her ideas about mastopexy augmentation or breast lifts and implants. Now I'd like to introduce you to Dr. Bruce Smith. Dr. Smith is a board-certified plastic surgeon who works out of Houston, Texas and has tremendous experience not only with tummy tucks that we're going to talk about now but also with breast surgery as well. Welcome to the show, Dr. Smith. Great to be with you. It's great to have you, man. Uh, well, let's talk about tummies. We were just talking about breasts, but we know that breasts are not the only thing that changes when you become a mom. Tummies can change. And we were talking at the top of the show about how your skin stretches out, how your muscles will stretch out and separate. When you're looking at someone in the office, a mom comes in, and for all the moms out there listening, if they look at themselves in the mirror, what is it that helps you decide what procedure you're going to have? Because, we, you know, we got mini tummy tucks and full tummy tucks and muscle repairs and all this stuff going on. Tell me, when you're looking at someone, what your analysis is. How do, you, how do you figure out what you want to do? You know, Adam, I think it's one of the most difficult things to determine because there are honestly about seven different operations I do on the abdomen. And so everyone's a little bit different. I mean, we're talking about changes that I think everybody is aware of. The, the abdominal wall stretches, the skin stretches, and can be scarred by stretch marks, and you're talking about some redundant fatty tissue. Well, everyone's a little bit different in what combination of those problems they have. And so you really need to design an operation to address the specific problems. And so there are about seven different operations. Some people just can get by with just a little liposuction. Some people can get by with some liposuction and a little excision of excess skin without really doing a lot of tightening of the abdominal wall. Some people need uh, can get by with a little mini tummy tuck where you take out fat and then with liposuction and then you take out a little bit of skin and you just tighten up a little bit of the lower abdomen. Some people 
Um, most, and I would say probably most people in my practice need a full tummy tuck where you're addressing skin laxity, fatty tissue, and tightening up the abdominal wall. All three yeah, things that are affected by pregnancy. And, and I would, I would agree. I think in my practice, most people come in and just like the breasts, they are hoping that they can have a lesser operation than what they really need. Most everybody comes in, I mean, unless there's a lot of skin hanging and they've just sort of come to accept, you know, I need a tummy tuck. A lot of women come in after they've had a baby, they've got a little sagging skin, some pooching in the lower tummy, but they've got laxity all over, and even though the, the idea of a mini tummy tuck sounds great, the best result is usually going to be had by doing a full tummy tuck. Uh, absolutely. And I, I think, you know, the concept of the, the mommy makeover, which has become very popular, the term has become very popular and thrown around, I think it's important for your listeners to understand it's not a single operation. It is a concept more than an operation, and so that's it can a great involve, point. That's it, a great point. Yeah, uh, it can it can involve many different things on the breast and many different procedures on on the abdomen. And, and I think you're right. I mean, all of plastic surgery, the trends recently in the face and the breast have really been, you know, short scars. Try to do more surgery through shorter, you know, short, lesser procedures that result in shorter scars in the abdomen. I would say the trend is reversing a bit. I mean, we are actually being a little bit more aggressive with the length of our incisions because the results are better. We're, we're I mean, 10 years ago, I don't think bodyless, whereas circumferential operations where we go completely around to excise skin and, and tighten tissues, um, they're not, uh, done, they weren't done as, as often as they are today. And so we're well, being I a little agree, bit yeah. more aggressive. It's sort of a reverse of the plastic surgery trends we see in other areas. I um, think that's true. I, th I think that, you know, just like everything in life, there's a pendulum, and the pendulum had swung way over to the side of short scars and mini operations. But I think more and more as a, as a, a, a group, plastic surgeons are understanding that less really doesn't mean more most of the time. It's nice to have the shorter scars, but particularly in the abdomen, and I agree with you completely. In the abdomen, I tell my patients frequently, the longer the scar, the better the result. Because it so simply where allows you... where is the scar going? Well, that, where does it's the a good scar question. go? That's a good question. You know, the, in most cases, and Dr. Smith, you tell me what your, your feeling on this is, but when I design a tummy tuck, I'm putting that scar as low as possible and trying to hide it inside the style of panty or bikini that they like to wear. So I actually have them bring their panties or bikini to the day of surgery and we mark where that sits and try and hide the scar inside that so that when mom is done with her, her tummy tuck, and she wants to go out on the beach here in Miami, she can be wearing a little bikini. No one's going to know she had the tummy well, tuck. Well, what if she had a cesarean? Can they just go through that same scar? Well, we get that a lot. It's a great question. Uh, the C-section scar is much shorter in most cases than what really needs to be done, even for a mini tummy tuck and certainly for a full tummy tuck. But we can remove that old C-section scar at the time of the tummy tucks, you end up with just the one scar, but it's going to be longer. It's not going to be the same length as a C-section scar. Does the scar. scars have a bunch of buildup around it, scar tissue buildup when you have that, or is it the same as when you do the C-section? Well, you know, everyone's a little different, but there's a big difference between a tummy tuck and a C-section scar in terms of the healing. When, when, you're using, uh, when, you, when you're doing a C-section, all you're doing is opening the skin and closing it. You're not actually removing any skin. So when you close uh -huh. that skin... In fact, not only are you not removing skin, but you're taking a baby out, so the skin is under less tension 
when you close it afterwards than it was when you made the incision, which is a very unusual situation uh, because typically for a tummy tuck, you're creating more tension because you're tightening things. So in the end, with a tummy tuck, you've got a, a scar that's under tension and, and being stretched a little bit, whereas with a C-section, you've got something that's even looser than it was before you made the cut. So the C-section is a setup for really beautiful healing, and the tummy tuck is, is more likely to be challenged. But now, we were talking, uh, you're talking about making everyone being different and healing, of course, being different. Now, it, it, with everyone being different, Dr. Smith, how are you? How are you counseling folks that are coming in for that mini versus full uh, conversation? Because a lot of times people do come in, they want that shorter scar. So, how, how do you explain that to people? You know, I, I tell um, I tell people that we will only make as much scar as is necessary to make the skin smooth at the end. And I think um, one of the reasons that we are making longer scars and we're trying to um, counsel people that they'll get better results if we make longer scars is because we try to make them too short. We try to compromise. We even, you know, accept a little bit of puckering on each end in the in the flank at the end of the scar. We'd accept a little bit of it and do some liposuction there and hope that the, you know, that things would recontour with time and contract and things would be smooth. And it's just honestly doing a lot of revisions in the office um, of people that have puckers or dog ears, as we call them. Um, that we've learned that people will get a better result if you'll go ahead and extend that scar. And, and for the most part, um, they're, you know, they're very acceptable and we keep them very low. And I totally agree with you about having them wear, you know, there are so many different styles. In general, the styles have gotten lower, I will say. Uh, oh, I agree, the, jeans, yeah. the low riding jeans, and so the scars have gotten lower to, to be hidden by the, the new styles. But some people do like a French cut. And so, um, you know, I tell them exactly like you do. Um, bring in the lingerie or the bikini bottom that you like, and let's make sure that the scar is uh, is hidden underneath it. So. Yeah, this is kind of, it's kind of funny. In Houston, you're thinking more of lingerie. Here in Miami, everyone's wearing a bikini. so it's <laughs> And the bikinis are low now. The styles are low. So. Yeah, exactly. It's all low-rise jeans, the boy short panties, the really low-cut everything along that, that waistline. So we, we I like to design the incision so it's going to be the least intrusive into people, someone's lifestyle. Now, you talked a little bit about... I'm sorry, go ahead, Sherry. Well, I have something that, um, because I'm not a mother, but I do think that um, some of my girlfriends, and this is something I've thought about myself, um, if you don't have good genetics, um, what if you wanted to, while you're on the... Um, the table already and you've given birth, can you immediately have this tummy tuck if you know that your genetics uh, are going to be bad? I mean, why, this why is a great question. Why have the weight? You're already in pain. You're already going through it. Can we just do it right then and there? I yes, mean, it's, it's logical, but it doesn't, it's, it's logical, but it doesn't really work out that way. I've actually had, uh, I had one celebrity patient call me. And, and she called me right before she was about to go in for a C-section. She said, listen, I want you to be there. I, I want to have this tummy tuck. I don't want to wait. I want you to do the tummy. I'll deliver the baby, and I want a tummy tuck as soon as you're yeah. done. Why but can't you do that? Well, it sounds like it makes sense, but it's actually it could potentially be life-threatening. Because uh -huh. childbirth is not such a straightforward, simple thing, particularly if you're planning it. And it usually comes up when someone's having a C-section. So you're having a C-section, you're figuring, well, I'm making the incision. Why don't you just make a bigger incision and finish up the tummy tuck? Exactly. That makes sense to me. Well, and, and maybe you get away with it sometimes, but it's really not a great idea. I mean, I think the the best idea is to uh, 
is to do the operation when it's the right time. Because if you do it at the time of pregnancy, you're going to find that there's more risk for bleeding, there's more risk for complications. You have lots of hormones raging through the body that make the skin more elastic. It's not quite the same type of tissue that you're dealing with at the time of the, of the delivery. So at least I like to tell women to wait at least three months after delivering to consider having a tummy tuck. And in fact, the patient I was talking about did wait a while. Uh, okay, so what is the best results then? So if that's not an option, because obviously you don't want to risk yourself, especially being a new mother, you want to be there for your child. So um, what is the best time frame? I know you said three months is, is okay, but what would be the healthiest time frame after delivering? To do you, that? you know you already have bad genetics. Well, I don't think, you know, genetics, good or bad, it, that's, that's hard to know. But and I think all comers, there are certain general rules. What do you think, Dr. Smith? You know, I, I think a lot of it will depend on whether they breastfeed or not. Um, but um, I would say I would put them off, try to put them off. Three months would be a minimum. It probably six months would be better, just to allow the physiologic change that's associated with pregnancy to normalize and to let the muscles regain some of their tone. And uh, I think you can just get a better you can get a better uh, outcome if you if the longer you wait. But I totally agree with you. I read People magazine too, and. I've, I've heard about celebrities having this so-called, you know, C-tuck, cesarean section and tummy tuck <laughs> together. But I, I don't know of anybody reputable who's honestly doing that. It's not the best time to have um, elective surgery um, with all the physiological changes that are associated with, with uh, pregnancy. So. Well, yeah, I think I probably wouldn't, I would not do it, uh, whether it's natural birth natural. or C-section. I don't okay. think it really much matters. But, I, okay. you know, I think, I think the general consensus would be you ought to wait. Uh, we need to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to continue this discussion. Boy, there's so much to talk about. We've got a lot to cover. Join us back after these short messages here on New Reflections. Real Life Solutions, Voice America Health and Wellness. Cosmetic surgery is a big deal. If you need a coronary bypass procedure, you probably want someone you trust and not the biggest bargain in town. You might get more than you bargained for. This is your face and body we're talking about. Do your homework. My doctor trained with world-renowned plastic surgeons. My doctor is a fully board-certified plastic surgeon. My doctor is an MD and on staff at several Florida hospitals. My doctor is an associate professor of surgery at a major university. My doctor is Adam Rubenstein. People pick a doctor based on trust, and you can trust Dr. Rubenstein. He has the experience, knowledge, and artistic touch you're looking for. Call 305-792-7575. Call today for a free consultation in a multilingual office. That's 305-792-7575. Dr. Adam Rubenstein, Turnberry Plastic Surgery at Biscayne Boulevard and the William Lehman Causeway, where medicine meets artistry. My doctor is Adam Rubenstein. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You 
are listening to New Reflections with Dr. Adam Rubenstein. If you have a question or comment for the host or this week's guests, please call 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You can also send an email to info at dr-rubenstein.com. That's info at dr-rubenstein.com. Now, back to New Reflections. Well, welcome back to the show. We're having a great conversation about tummy surgery after becoming a mom. And uh, we talked about how the uh, the muscles stretch out and doing a full tummy tuck can fix the muscles. And if you have hanging skin, get rid of that. There's a lot of things you can improve with tummy surgery. And we we're just talking about doing things right at the same time as a C-section or right at the time of delivery. And this, this idea of a C-tuck, I just want to make one comment about that. The, I had a patient in the office that was looking for a full tummy tuck, and she, in fact, had already had one of those little C-tucks after her last C-section. And people will often hear from their obstetrician, oh, well, I'll give you a treat. I'm going to do a little tummy tuck for you. What that means is they're going to take out a little bit of skin. They're not really doing anything close to what a tummy tuck is or a mini tummy tuck. All they're doing is taking out some of the loose skin, just trimming out a little piece of skin, before they close, so that there's not some floppiness to the skin at the end. They may reduce the amount of floppiness, but it's no, no way near what a real mini tummy tuck or, or certainly not what a full tummy tuck would be. So be careful. But sometimes you hear something that sounds like a great idea, something you'd really like to have, but in the end, you're not getting what you think you're going to be getting. So be careful about these little seat tuck procedures. It's not what it's cracked up to be. But now, talking about the, the good procedures, the real surgery that we're discussing, when you're thinking about having a tummy tuck after having babies, and maybe you're also thinking about having breast surgery, there you have to give a consideration to what's safe. So, Dr. Smith, people come in and, you know, moms are looking for that mommy makeover. They're coming in and say, you know, fix my breast, fix my tummy. What can we do? What's your thought on choosing a safe pathway? How do you decide what you can do together and what you can't do together? I think the history uh, with, you know, many um, good studies in our literature looking at breast and abdominal surgery, we, we know that those two procedures can be done safely together. Um, what happens is when people will, well, I'm going to the operating room, well, what about my face and what about my eyelids? Do they bother me? What about my arms? I'm kind of, you know, worried about those two. I think those people, at some, you have to draw the line. I mean, the, the focus in our um, specialty society over the past several years has, has been patient safety. And I think uh, the breast and the abdomen, even though we're talking about different operations, even with an augmentation and a lift, and even with a full tummy tuck, we know that those two operations can be done safely. Um, it gets a little complicated when people will push you. They have to have um, some type of gynecological procedure, um, a hysterectomy or bladder suspension, and they'll want to do breast and, and abdominal cosmetic surgery on top of those operations. And then I think you have to you have to draw the line a little bit. And we try to limit our procedures to certainly, you know, I'd like to do them less than four hours, certainly less than six hours, because we know that with the extra time of surgery, the complication rate goes up, the rate of infection Yeah, I think goes that's up. true. And that six-hour point is a, is a good line to draw. Uh, you know, my guideline is in a young, healthy patient, if I think I can get something done under eight hours, 
I think that is pretty much the limit that I like. That I mean, that's a pretty much a hard line that I like to draw. If I think I can get something done in eight hours, because you know, you start combining maybe a little liposuction, you're doing a tummy tuck, you can do a lift and augmentation, and you know, those lift and augmentations, they're tricky operations, and they take a while to get just so. So I think having someone under anesthesia, as you mentioned, six hours is the line that we know that begins to increase the possible complication rate. Now, if you have a young, healthy person, I think that there is a, a little bit of a greater time that they can tolerate in the operating room. What's so, young, according to you? Young, healthy person. You know, that's under a good 30? question. That's a good question. No, I, I think even under forty, I mean, forty-five, even. And, it's, and I've got to say, it's funny how the word young changes. That the older I get, the older young. I become. <laughs> but I, I think it has more to do with the general. That we all love you. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think it has more to do with the general health of the patient. So if you have a really healthy person and they're reasonably young, you know, someone that's under 50, under 45, and, and they're really healthy, don't have any health problems, not taking any medications, that's someone that can tolerate a longer operation. And certainly the younger you get, the more that's true. So I agree. I think the six hours is a great guideline. For me, uh, a younger, healthier person can tolerate a little bit more, but I think that's a good guide. And there's some, been some controversy about adding liposuction in combination with lots of other procedures, but I think if these things are done in a time-based manner, and you're planning something that's going to take an appropriate amount of time and not trying to do too much, that you can combine these things. And I think a good mommy makeover, something that I do pretty, pretty frequently, is a tummy tuck with breast augmentation, sometimes with a lift and augmentation. But I know that in my hands, the amount of time that I spend doing a lift and augmentation is, is considerable just to get it perfect. And when we start adding in liposuction, that's going to require changing the position of the patient a few times to get great results, that's adding a lot of time to the procedure. So for me, it, it, it can get a little how tricky. Long, trying to how it. long is a breast augmentation, lift, and tummy tuck usually take the average surgery? Uh, I'd say, I mean, Dr. Smith, how about for you? How long do you think it take you to do a lift, augmentation, and tummy tuck? I'm, I'm exactly in agreement with you. Um, I, if we can do it less than six hours, I feel good about that operation, which I don't feel that that's, it's not a 10 or 12 hour operation. I agree. Oh, if we no, can do yeah, it less yeah, than six not. hours, I feel pretty good about that. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree. Now, what about recovery from these things? What do you think is the average recovery for your patients? You know, and I think that's the real, that's the reason to do them together is to minimize trips to the operating room. If you did them separately, that would be two operations rather than one. It would be two recovery, uh, recovery times. So the, the limiting factor I've found is, is definitely the tummy tuck. I mean, I think I'm amazed how well people do after breast surgery, after all elective breast surgery, uh, whether it be a reduction or augmentation or mastopexy. The limiting factor is going to be the tummy tuck, and usually it's the it's related to the tightening that we do of the abdominal wall. And I tell people it's like a hernia repair, so they need to take it easy for at least four to six weeks. No heavy lifting, no heavy straining. So it's yeah, a, well, I think that that's a good guideline. But I think getting back to life, I find you know you're probably up walking around pretty well at about a week. You're not absolutely. quite yourself, but but I think at two weeks is a good guideline for anyone trying to get back to work. Would you agree? Yes, ab absolutely. Uh, it just depends on their work, too. They, I, you know, we always have that discussion. You know best about what your job requires of you and how you feel. Everyone's True. a little bit different. If you're motivated, mm -hmm. you can certainly get back to work within a couple of weeks without heavy lifting or straining. But it's yeah. the tuck part. My recommendation to all mothers out there, instead of asking for jewelry for when you deliver, ask for a... Um, 
for them to go with you to the doctor and have that six months after so that you're you're already set for surgery after you deliver. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the greatest Mother's Day gift, I think. Well, there <laughs> you go. Children, and let's do the uh, tummy tuck and breast uh, uh, compensation lift. Yeah, yeah, there you go. So, uh, you know, that that's a great way to, to ra- wind up this show. It, we're, we're coming to the end. We've only got about uh, a minute left of the show. I want to thank Dr. Bruce Smith. He's a board-certified plastic surgeon. You can find him in Houston, Texas. He's uh, very skilled at what he does. If you're in Houston, I'd encourage you to look up Dr. Bruce Smith for any of the things we've discussed today. If you're in New York, look up Dr. Michelle Zweifler. Uh, she can do a great job for you, whether it's breast surgery or tummy tuck. She's a board-certified plastic surgeon and very, very good at what she does. This has been New Reflections this week. I want to tell everyone next week and the week after, we're going to go more in-depth. I want to wish all the moms happy Mother's Day. We're talking about mommy makeovers today. Next week, we'll be talking about tummy tucks for the whole episode. And the week after that, we'll go back into breast augmentation and astapexy. Join us on New Reflections next week when we talk about tummy tucks. Happy Mother's Day to everybody Happy Mother's out Day, there. Mom. Happy Mother's Day. We hope you stayed informed and entertained today on New Reflections. Please join your host, Dr. Adam Rubenstein, again next Saturday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time. You can also email the doctor at info at dr-rubenstein.com or visit his website at www.dr-rubenstein.com. And don't forget to join us next Saturday for New Reflections on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a beautiful weekend. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.